Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15 this afternoon. Good to see you. Hope you're having a good day. Looks like we're missing a couple folks today, but tis the season. Glad that all of you are here. 1 Samuel chapter 15. And we're going to take some time to read a few verses here in our text. And over the next few minutes here in our chapel time, I'd like to speak to you about the cycle of rebellion, the cycle of rebellion. And we're going to talk a little bit about what rebellion is and how it works in our life so that we can pay attention for this device of Satan that he uses to lure us away from the truth. First Samuel chapter 15, look in verse number 10. We're going to read this story about King Saul and we're going to Take note of the characteristics of his rebellion in this passage. And then we're going to go over here and we're going to talk a little bit about the cycle of rebellion and how this works. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 10. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he's turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. And he cried unto the Lord all night. Now, I just want to point something out to you here. Saul's rebellion, and he's the, he's the case study today. Saul's rebellion didn't grieve him, but it grieved Samuel. That night, Saul slept just fine. He thought everything was great. He was living the dream. But the man of God who knew what was going on because God had revealed it to him, he was up all night praying and crying to God. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord." And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. Like, oh, it's great, wonderful, I can't wait to hear from God. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord? But didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. 
For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin, and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord." And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. So in this really interesting story, this case study of rebellion, and probably one of the clearest examples in the scripture where God confronts a man's rebellion and calls it rebellion and points out that this behavior is wrong, we learn some interesting things about the characteristics of rebellion. All right, so let's, let's think for just a couple of minutes about what rebellion looks like. What are the characteristics? The very first thing that we see in this passage is that rebellion defies the command of God. God had given some very specific instructions to Saul the king about how he was to handle this particular battle with the Amalekites. And God told him, here are the things that I want you to do. God was very, very, very specific. And Saul, when he went out to battle, he decided, you know, God doesn't really know what he's talking about. I think it's stupid to have to do these things that God said. It would be so much better if, while we're doing this, if we would save some of these animals and if we would save some of the choicest of the people and if we would save the king. I mean, God is so unreasonable. He's always telling us these unreasonable things to do. I really don't see why I have to obey this command of God. So Saul directly disobeyed the clear command of God. And then... He justified his disobedience in his mind. He came up with all the reasons why it was fine for him to disobey. Now, I want you to follow along with this because rebellion is defiance against authority, legitimate authority that has been placed in your life. So for a lot of you, rebellion looks like defying the command of God by disobeying your parents. When your parents say, I want you to do this, and you say, my parents are so stupid. They have no idea what it means to be a teenager anymore. They have forgotten all sense of reality. I don't think I should have to obey them. I mean, this is ridiculous that my parents are always telling me things to do. All right, at that point, you are directly in rebellion. And I'll prove it to you because the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 1 that children ought to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You are commanded to obey and honor your parents, and when you disobey and dishonor your parents, you are defying the command of God. So, in case you're wondering, rebellion is a common trap, right? It's something that we're constantly being confronted with. If you went through the Bible, you'd find lots of people who rebelled against God. Right in the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and they decided, hey, God's command to not eat of that 
fruit from that tree? That's ridiculous. We should be able to do whatever we want. And so they went and they took that fruit. All right. So rebellion defies the command of God. But now as you follow along in the story, the, the second thing that rebellion does, even though it defies the command of God, it pretends to be in obedience to God. Because of the way that we're wired from the factory, because of what God has written on our heart, we all know that we ought to be in obedience to God. And Saul knew that he should be in obedience to God. And so did you notice what he said to the prophet when the prophet showed up? By the way, the prophet already knew that Saul had disobeyed God because God had told him. I'll come back to that in just a moment. But as soon as Samuel came uh, walking across wherever Saul was and Saul saw him, notice what he says in verse 13. Hey, Saul, oh, good, blessed be thou of the Lord. I have done exactly what God said. Liar, liar, pants on fire. He is lying through his teeth. He is pretending to be in obedience to God, thinking that he is fooling Samuel and even more importantly, thinking that he is fooling God. But of course, he's not fooling Samuel and he's not fooling God, but he's pretending. He's like, oh, everything is so wonderful. I'm the servant of the Lord. I'm the king of Israel. I did exactly what God said. What a bunch of baloney. All right. So rebellion defies the command of God and then pretends to be in obedience to God. And we see this not only in verse 13, but again in verse 20, when he's pressed by the prophet on what he has done, he insists, he insists that he was not the one who disobeyed. No way, I obeyed God. I definitely obeyed God. Maybe he even believed it himself. I'm not sure but he was definitely in a place where he was pretending to be in obedience to God. Then the third thing that rebellion usually does is it places blame on others. So, you know, he says then he's caught, right? He can't get out of it. He's caught in his sin And it's clear that Samuel knows what he's done. Remember, by the way, how did Samuel know what he had done? Marian? God told him. So I want you to get a little bit of something in your mind about how God works. Many, many times, God will use circumstances to reveal your rebellion to people who are in authority you think that you're getting away with it and that nobody knows what you're doing, but it is, it's as plain as day to authority what you are up to. And then you realize, I'm busted. All right, so what did he do when he realized he's busted? Oh, he says, it wasn't my fault. I didn't make that decision. It really, I mean, Samuel, you got to understand the people The people put all this pressure on me. The people told me this is what I had to do. I I couldn't stop them. 
I mean, I wanted to, but hey, you know, what am I, I mean, they did have a pretty good reason. They were saving all that stuff because they wanted to make a sacrifice to God. So it's probably okay, but listen, it wasn't my fault. All right. We're always trying to place the blame on everybody else. It was my brother, it was my sister, it was my friend, it was you, mom and dad, it was Mr. Anger, it was Pastor Gable, it was my teacher, it was the neighbor, it was anybody but me. It's not my fault. All right, that's what rebellion does. Places blame on others. Number four, now look at verse 24. Now that he's in this uncomfortable place of having been caught, he makes a pretense to repentance. And he says, look in verse 24, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in my words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. See, he's still blaming the people. He's not taking responsibility. And his repentance is insincere. He doesn't actually feel remorse or regret for what he has done. The definition of insincere repentance, as it's shown to us in the New Testament, it's worldly sorrow. And worldly sorrow brings destruction. What is worldly sorrow? Well, it's really just, I'm sorry that I got caught. I'm sorry that I didn't get away with it. If he had gotten away with this and never got called on it, never got found out, he would have thought, perfect, I got what I wanted, I got my way, and he wouldn't have been repentant at all. He wasn't concerned about his sin, how it affected the people, his sin and how it affected the prophet, his sin and how it affected God himself. He was just concerned with, okay, I got caught. I'm so sorry, I'll never do it again, full well knowing that he's gonna do it again the first time that he gets a chance, insincere repentance. Then step five, a, a, a fifth characteristic of rebellion is that he is insistent on appearances. In verse 25, on the heels of his insincere repentance, Saul says to Samuel, okay now, I hope everything's okay between us and between me and God. So now, Samuel, I want you to come, verse 25, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. I want everybody to see that everything's okay, that nothing's wrong. I don't want anybody to know that there's a problem. Hey, listen, I've got a reputation to keep here. I'm the leader of the people. Everybody needs to know that we're on the same page, that everything's good and that things are good between me and God. Now, is he really wanting to worship God? No, all he cares about is I want everybody to think that everything's okay, even though everything is not okay. And it's amazing how concerned rebellious people are about what people think about them. And we'll talk about this in just a minute and why this is. And finally, the sixth characteristic of rebellion is that it chafes at the consequences. Mark it down, when you disobey God, when you rebel against God, there will always be consequences. But rebels don't like consequences. See, they want to have what they want, 
and get their way. And if they get caught, they just want all the consequences to go away like nothing ever happened. And this is what Saul wanted. He didn't want anyone to think that there was anything wrong between him and God. I mean, he insisted, he begged, he pleaded. He finally got Samuel to come back with him and to put on this show of worshiping God. And that's all it was. It was just a show because God wasn't receiving his worship. But all that Saul was concerned about was, I don't want any consequences. But you know, he couldn't get away from the consequences because look at verse 35. We didn't read it. Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. What were the consequences? Well, the leader of Israel no longer heard from God because he was cut off from the prophet. The prophet mourned over what had happened in the land because Saul had disobeyed against against the command of God and the Lord Well, the Lord was looking for a replacement because he was done with Saul. And for the rest of his life, Saul is going to fight against the consequences that came into his life because of rebellion. He's going to do everything that he can to get rid of the competition, the one who is going to replace him. As soon as he figures out that David is the one who's going to replace him, He does everything in his power to get rid of David because he fears David more than anyone else and he wants to be rid of David because David is part of the consequences. Saul is going to lose his kingdom and he's desperately trying to keep from having to face the consequences for his sin. But understand, you can choose your sin and you can choose to defy the command of God, but you have no power over the consequences that will come in your life. God has guaranteed that there will be consequences. You are not going to like those consequences. The sad thing about most rebels is that they're not willing to actually deal with the sin to get back to a place of a right relationship with God. All they really care about is get rid of the consequences. All right, so you see how this works, right? These are the things that are the marks of rebellion. And if you're paying attention, then you can... Definitely look in your life and see times when these things have been a part of your life because this is human nature. This is our nature to defy the command of God. And then the rest of this just plays out. Um, You know, Adam and Eve did the same thing. Cain did the same thing. Every person who ever sinned in the Bible follows the same pattern of rebellion. They defy the command of God and right on through And they do all the same things. And so it's no surprise that we have the same problem in our life. All right. You all still with me? Okay. So it is a very serious thing to rebel and defy the command of God. It is also a very serious thing to teach someone else to rebel and to defy the command of God. So for instance... If you find yourself giving encouragement to someone else, saying to them, you know, your parents are really unreasonable. And I found some ways to get around some of these unreasonable things that parents do. Let me share a few secrets with you about how you could get away with what you want to do. You are in a very serious place of teaching someone to defy the command of God. You are setting yourself in opposition to the authority of God. And it's a very, very serious thing. 
All right? So now let's think about the cycle of rebellion and what happens. And we've looked at this case study of Saul. And now I want you to think just practically and biblically about the way that this works in our life. And this is, this is the path that this always follows, this rebellion cycle. Let me see here. You guys like green or red? All right. So we have a command of God, right? We have lots of commands, actually. Things that God has told us that we should or should not do. You could probably think of some of them, right? Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. Um, Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery, which would, you know, fornication would fall under that. Thou shalt not bear false witness, tell a lie, all right? We have other commands in the New Testament, which God has given to us. Lots and lots of commands. And what are commands? Commands are priorities of God. They're things that God says are the kinds of behavior that ought to be expected out of our life. And could I point out to you that disobeying these commands, God always attaches consequences to them. For instance, um, I don't know if you realize this, but the, the sin of fornication, sexual sin... God says that is a sin which you commit against your own body. It is something, the reason for that is because God attaches consequences to fornication that come into your life and bring a lot of hurt and pain. So there's a command from God that is given. Whatever whatever the command is that's in your mind right now, wherever you are in your life, God has given a command. Now, what happens is, Do you guys like being told what to do? Anybody here just love it when somebody says, hey, go do this right now? You think, yes, wonderful. I'm so glad somebody told me what to do. No, probably not. Most of us don't like being told what to do. In fact, we figure whoever is telling us something to do probably has no idea what they're talking about. They're they're morons. And and I know much better, so I should just do what I want to do. All right? So notice what happens. The command from God comes... And the result is often imaginations. Now, I don't have time to do a study with you about imaginations this morning, but imaginations are something that are a component of temptation. And in temptation, one of the chief things that Satan is trying to do is he is implanting, this is what he's up to, this is his strategy, questioning and doubt. In the Garden of Eden, he asked the question, yea, hath God said? And then he went even farther and he said, God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, ye shall, you're not going to die. You're going to be like God's. God is hiding something from you. So he made this scenario where he brought all these questions. The same thing happened with Saul. You know, the commandment came from God, and Saul thought, now why would God say that? That doesn't make any sense. That's a stupid thing for God to say. I don't think God knows what he's doing. I don't don't think that God is right. I, I think that there's probably a better way to handle this. On the other side of questioning and doubt, 
then what happens is a lie replaces the truth. So think about Adam and Eve. The lie that replaced the truth was, ye shall not surely die. God said, you shall surely die. But Satan convinced them, you'll not surely die. It's not going to happen. And you could say, well, they didn't die right away. I mean, they got put out of the garden and then they lived for a long, long time. And so you might be tempted to think, well, God doesn't know what he's talking about. And lots of Christian young people, you know, they, they get this attitude like, well, I've heard these commands from God, but why? I don't understand. This is the stupidest stuff I've ever heard. I mean, I think I'm pretty much convinced that all they're trying to do is take away our fun. They're trying to make us miserable. They're trying to get it so that we never have a good time any ever again. My parents pretty much just want to make me miserable. I'm pretty sure that's their primary goal in life, which is a stupid thing to think. But you know what happens when you start thinking imaginations is you start thinking stupid things. And then you replace the truth with a lie. And once you've replaced the truth with a lie, now you're primed. And the next step after an imagination, when you've given yourself to that imagination, is disobedience. So disobedience is obviously disobeying the command of God. God said, thou shalt not, and you said, I shall. Or God said, this is what you ought to do, and you said, I'm not going to do it. I don't care. I don't care who says it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do my own thing. Now, just for a moment, think about disobedience. Does disobedience bring some pleasure? What do you think? Zacchaeus? Yeah, Yeah, it does. How do you know that? Because it does? Can anybody give me a scriptural reason why we know that disobedience brings some pleasure? Okay, and what happened? He refused, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So what we find is that disobedience to God often brings a momentary pleasure. There's a momentary pleasure that is associated with it. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit, hey, that tasted good. All this time, God's been hiding this from us. Man, this was some good fruit. This was yummy. I don't understand why God was keeping this from us. Momentary pleasure. Sin will bring pleasure just for a short time. Now, that's actually part of the problem with sin, is that it has some built-in pleasure. It appeals to us. But very, very quickly, what happens after we disobey is guilt, shame, fear, and hiding. Remember what happened to Adam and Eve? The fruit tasted good at first, and then all of a sudden they looked at each other and they experienced guilt for the first time in their life. Shame. They were now afraid of God and didn't want to be seen by God or be in the presence of God, and so they went and they hid. 
in this moment, they may have had momentary pleasure, but they disrupted everything that God had given to them because of their rebellion, their disobedience. Now, it gets worse because after the disobedience, and we're just following the cycle that is followed in rebellion, the next thing that happens is covering. Because we're guilty and we have shame and fear and we're trying to hide what we've done, we go to work trying to cover our tracks, trying to keep from getting found out. And this covering takes a bunch of different forms, such as, and we see some of these with Saul, blaming. I didn't, it's not my fault. I wouldn't have done it if my brother hadn't, if my sister had, if my friend hadn't. It's not, it's not me. I mean, come on. I, you know me better than that. I would never do something like this if it wasn't for, and so we blame. Or we fall prey to hypocrisy. And, and hypocrisy, one, one aspect of hypocrisy is that we start to redefine the truth. And we redefine what's right and what's wrong. And, and we say, hey, come on, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, I know, I know that they said not to do that. But come on, just think about it. There couldn't possibly be anything wrong with it. It's, it's no big deal. I mean, and then we kind of like put on this self-righteous face and we pretend like everything's okay. But actually, in the depths of our heart, we know that we're just trying to cover over our sin. Y'all still with me? Yeah. All right. Then we employ more lying and deceit. And primarily we do this to deny our sin. I didn't really do it. Or we try to cover over any evidence of having done it. Or we try to pretend like it wasn't us who are responsible. Or we try to redefine, as we, we talked about, we try to redefine our actions and make it sound like it wasn't really all that bad. I mean, come on, everybody's doing it. What's the big deal? And all we're really doing is we're trying to cover over our sin. This is a very natural human response. The problem is, of course, the Bible tells us, he that covereth his sins, can you finish it for me? shall not prosper. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. You will try in vain to cover your sins and you will find that God is in the business of exposing sin. You'll never be able to overcome the power of God and you'll find that what happens in spite of your covering is that there will be consequences. Now, remember, how did Saul feel about the consequences? Did he like it? No, 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 no. He wanted to sin, to disobey God, and then have things his way. He wanted it to turn out his way. You know, this is like the young person who says, I figured out what I want. I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm doing. My parents have no idea what they're talking about. The pastor has no idea what he's talking about. All of these adults, they're just dumb. 
They don't actually know anything about anything. I know what I want. And so you go and you get what you want. And then when the consequences which you've been warned about come in your life, you say, I don't like those consequences. Those consequences don't belong there. What are some of those consequences? Well, for instance, your reputation is affected. You engage in sin, even a child is known by his doings. Everybody knows, everybody can see, everybody can see it all over your face, they can see it in the way that you carry yourself, in the way that you talk to your parents, in the way that you respond to authority, and whether you like it or not, your reputation is going to be affected. Now, you can cry about it, and you can say it's not fair, everybody should still respect me, I mean, after all, everybody's made mistakes, but no matter what you say, your reputation is going to be affected. So, for instance, if you get a reputation for encouraging people to rebel against the authority of their parents and the authorities that are in their life, then don't be surprised if people say, I don't really want you around my kids. Because you have a reputation for trying to get people to do things that they're not supposed to do. So stay away from my kids because I don't want you influencing them. You say, That's not fair. I want people to like me. Well, you forgot that when you chose to disobey God, there were going to be consequences. There's lots of consequences for sin. Lots and lots and lots of them. In fact, most of them... We tend to dismiss like, ah, not going to happen to me. Everybody I've ever talked to who is contemplating rebelling against God thinks it's not going to happen to me. But it always happens because God is the one who gives the consequences. It is outside your control what the consequences will be. What do we think about Saul today? We think great king, good character, great leader. No, we think What a lousy guy. I mean, he was given this opportunity to be the king by God. Did he use it wisely? He didn't use it wisely. He disobeyed God. Who did he think he was? I mean, his reputation is trashed as far as we're concerned. We don't think about him like a great king, but he had the opportunity to be a great king. His reputation was destroyed because of the choices that he made. Um, Another thing that happens as a consequence is... Pain or loss of privilege. By the way, I'll point out to you back there on reputation. This was something that really bothered Saul and really upset him. That's why he wanted Samuel to come with him to worship. Because he wanted everybody to look at him in a certain way. And he didn't think it was fair that people would see him differently because of his sin. All right? His reputation was really important. Pain or loss of privilege. Consequences can come. And you know what? If you disobey, let's say, for instance, you disobey your parents. Um, let's, say, let's say that your parents find out, I don't know, that you've been using a secret device, an electronic device in your home to communicate with people and be on the Internet and They told you that you shouldn't do that, but they found out that you were doing it. And then they discovered that it was there, which they always do, by the way. And then 
the result was you lost the device and you lost a whole bunch of privileges and you lost a whole bunch of other things that were really special to you. But see, that's the consequences of sin. There's always going to be consequences. Something's going to happen. You say, well, I want my parents to trust me. You know, it's hard for your parents to trust you when you've been lying to them. Part of the consequences of sin is a loss of trust. All right, are you following the pattern here? Uh, Some other things that happen is relationships are hurt. You know, this is one of the most painful consequences that can take place. Like, you know, this, this kind of stuff happens all the time. Somebody finds out, let's say you've been lying to your friend, and your friend finds out that you've been lying to them. Are they going to be your friend anymore? Well, probably not. They're probably going to say, what kind of a friend were you that you were lying to me? I can't believe that you were lying to me. Your relationship has been hurt. If you somehow break your, the trust that you have with your parents and they find out that you've been doing things behind their back, that's going to hurt your relationship with your parents. If you've been cheating in school and, you, and then it gets discovered that you've been cheating, that's going to affect your relationship with Mr. Anger. You see what I'm saying? No matter what you do, when, there's, when there is a disobedience to the command of God, eventually down the line, relationships get hurt. And that's painful. That causes a lot of difficulty. And a lot of times people are trying to figure out, well, which relationships are the most important to me? What's really sad is that at the age that you guys are, many times young people will choose a relationship with their friends over their relationship with their parents, thinking, my friends are the ones who really care about me. My friends are the ones who are going to be there for me. That's a lie, actually. The ones who really care about you are your parents who really care about your soul, and you want to preserve that relationship. All right, stay with me now. All right, so now the consequences come. We have a choice. Why does God give consequences? Well, God's goal is that we would come to a place of, I'm running out of room here, repentance, okay? The reason that God gives consequences to sin and he attaches some pain to pursuing after sin is because if sin never cost us anything, then we would just go after sin because we would always be looking for that momentary pleasure. But the truth is that sin is destructive to our soul, and because it's destructive to our soul, God has attached some consequences to also make it painful in our life, and his goal is that we would come to the place of repentance, where we would realize that lie that I believed up here, which led me to disobey God, was wrong. I need to come back and confront that lie, and I need to replace the lie with the truth of God. I need to repent. This is what repentance is. It's a change of heart that results in a change in your life, in your actions. Once repentance has taken place, and it's obvious that you have repented, then there is an opportunity for restoration and renewal. And this is one of the amazing things about the mercy of God. God is merciful, and he gives opportunities to us 
All of this is designed, these consequences are designed so that we come to our senses and realize it's not worth it to live in sin. I ought not to live this way. I ought to obey the command of God. I don't want to yield to the lie of Satan anymore. I want to do what God says. All right? But is that what happens to most people when they come to this place of consequences? Sadly, it's not. Rather, our response when we hit the place of of consequences is that we reject repentance and we go right back to this place. And now, because we don't like the consequences, we try to figure out how to get what we want all over again by believing the lie of Satan, which replaces the truth of God, by questioning and doubting what God has said, and it leads us right back through the same process over and over and over again. And the result of this, when we follow this cycle, and we don't come, we don't break out of here with repentance, which is God's remedy, is slowly but surely, we develop an attitude of bitterness. Bitterness because what God tells us is sin never satisfies. Do you know what happened to Saul? He became one of the most, he's like a case study for bitterness in the Old Testament. He became angry. He started blaming all of his problems on God. He desperately tried to hold on to his position, which God told him he was going to lose. He began to fight against God's replacement for him He stopped hearing from God and he became, you know, he was in the place, he was so gripped by bitterness that he actually tried to kill his own son. When his son tried to reason with him about what he was doing, he tried to take the life of his own son, who he loved. And yet he responded in a a totally unrealistic way. Bitterness. Regret. Because imaginations aren't true. People think, I will be really happy if I do this, which is in disobedience to God's command. But what they're going to find out is over and over and over and over again as they repeat this cycle, Sin may have some momentary pleasure, but it doesn't satisfy. Now, what's interesting about this is, if you talk to your parents about this, I would imagine that your parents could share some illustrations with you about how they lived this out in their own life before they finally came to their senses and repented and broke out of this cycle. But many people are living with regret. They look back at their life and they say, I wish that it had been different. I wish I hadn't gone down that path. I wish I hadn't done those things. I I, I regret that I ended up in this place. Well, it didn't have to be that way. But instead of dealing with the sin according to God's pattern, they just went back up through the cycle again and again and again and again. And what happens is, the more that you go through this cycle, 
the more isolated you become. And the more isolated you become, the more you are prey for the lies of Satan to take hold of your mind. This is exactly what happened to Saul. Like he got to the place where nobody could talk to him. Nobody. Nobody could approach him. Nobody could reason with him. He lived in his own little world right up until he died. One of the last things that he did before he died, he was desperate to hear from God. So he went and found a witch and asked the witch to call Samuel up from the grave. By this time, Samuel had died because he was desperate for someone to tell him the truth. Only the truth that he heard was not what he wanted to hear. Because, surprise, surprise, the truth hadn't changed. The truth hadn't changed since Samuel spoke to him the last time and said, God has rejected you and taken your kingdom away from you. The day after that night, Saul died. It's one of the most hotly debated topics in the Old Testament. Where did Saul go? Was he saved or was he lost? It's kind of hard to discern because sometimes he acted like a saved person and most of the time he acted like a lost person and he left us all with a bunch of question marks and none of us really knows whether Saul was saved or lost. But what I want you to see is it doesn't have to be this way. Now, let me ask you just a couple of questions before we finish. Is it likely that at some point in your life you are going to succumb to imaginations and rebel against the command of God and disobey God. Is that likely? How do you know that? Anthony? It's our sin nature. nature. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says that we are all gone out of the way. The Bible says this is very likely that it's going to happen in our life. And of course, if you're honest, you would say it's already happened in your life that you've rebelled against God. All right, so then you have very likely seen this pattern play out in your life. And maybe part, you know, maybe you, maybe you did something in disobedience to your parents when you were a kid and they confronted you and, and you, I mean, you got what you wanted for a minute and everything was okay and then you got caught and so you tried to cover it over and then there were consequences and your parents said, okay, well, you, you're not going to get to do this and this is going to be the consequence here and you didn't like that. But you had an opportunity at that point to say, okay, I'm going to repent or I'm going to repeat. Now, here's my question that I want to leave you with this afternoon. You find yourself, maybe even today, you find yourself in this cycle of rebellion. Are you going to repent or are you going to repeat? I'm going to guarantee you something. If your choice is, I'm going to repeat, it is going to be a very, very painful path for you. You say, how do you know that? A couple of different ways. First of all, I know this on the basis of what God says. And I believe what God says and I know it to be true And so I'm telling you by the authority of God's word, it will be a painful path. But second of all, I know this from observation, from seeing this in other people's lives. 
and watching it play out and where they ended up when they continued going through this cycle of rebellion and what happened to them. And you might even be thinking, well, that would never happen to me. I would never go that far. I would never do something like that. Please don't say things like that. Because I've been doing this long enough to see lots and lots of people go from the seats that you're sitting in to all kinds of places that they never thought they would end up. All right? And unfortunately, I also know this because of my own experience. Because at times in my life, instead of responding when I realized that I had sinned and there were consequences, instead of responding with repentance, I responded by going back through that cycle. And that is a very painful thing to live through. Now, the the million-dollar question is, did it have to be this way for Saul? And the clear answer from the Bible is, no. It didn't have to be this way. The reality is that Saul was his own worst enemy because he chose to repeat this cycle instead of repenting and getting right with God. Can I add one more thing before we're dismissed? If you have a friend who is telling you, go ahead and just do what you want to do. Your parents are dumb. Let me help you get around what they're telling you to do. The rules of the authorities over you are stupid. Let me give you some hints about how you could get around those. That person is not your friend. That person is a spokesman of Satan who is luring you to to come to this place of disobedience against God and face the consequences that are going to come in your life. You say, but I like them. They're really nice. They're not nice. If they were nice, they would tell you the truth. And Satan is using them as a tool to get you to go through this cycle of rebellion over and over and over again because Satan knows that that's going to bring destruction in your life. If I could implore you something this morning, it's not this morning, this afternoon, don't keep doing this. If you recognize yourself somewhere in here, at any moment, because of the mercy of God, there is an opportunity for you to repent. There is an opportunity for you, and repentance looks like saying, I refuse this lie that I have believed. I'm done going through this cycle. I am going to believe what God has said, and I'm going to live according to that truth because I believe that God is right and every man is a liar. Didn't have to be this way for Saul, sadly. Sadly, he insisted on his way, and eventually his life ended in terrible, sad destruction. I mean, what an awful end for somebody who had so much potential. It did not have to go that way. But rebellion always leads to destruction. Father, thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you for these young people. I pray that you would help them, challenge them, help them to have the the courage to confront the rebellion that crops up in their life. Help them, Lord, to have the courage to decide to walk in truth rather than in lies. And I pray that you would be glorified in each one of our lives as we live according to your truth. We thank you for this case study in the Bible and its reminder about the seriousness of sin, the seriousness of rebellion against God. I pray that you would help us, Heavenly Father, 
to submit our lives to you and to your rule. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.